I've always thought of myself as a musical instrument, neither violin nor piano, simply the essence of music. I never walk or wake or dream or go to sleep without having music in my head. Pablo Picasso once told me that he painted with his stomach, with his gut. That's where one must feel music. That was an excerpt from the young Arthur Rubinstein, a performance piece created by the Ensemble for the Romantic Century. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Imagine walking into an intimate performance space, the stage designed and lit for a period theatrical piece, and it's shared by fully costumed actors and musicians. What unfolds is a merger of dramatic and fully staged scripts with music. Not excerpts of music, not music to heighten the drama, but full sonatas, concertos, and quartets. This artistic hybrid was created by the Ensemble for the Romantic Century. ERC productions are typically based on a major cultural figure, often a musician. The scripts are drawn from historical material, which includes letters, diaries, newspaper articles, literature, that work in intricate counterpoint to the musical program, neither dominating or in service to the other, but music and drama as equals on the stage. Now in its 15th year, the Ensemble for the Romantic Century has created some 40 productions and performed at festivals and in venues around the world. Last season, I had the opportunity to see their New York production of The Trial of Oscar Wilde, and it was an unexpected and moving evening of theater. ERC's director of theatrical production, Don Sanders, wasn't surprised by my response. Uh, Ensemble for the Romantic Century combines the pleasures of theater, acting, we have always wonderful actors, and of music, wonderful musicians playing fantastic music, and also it's fully designed with costumes and sets and with wonderful lighting. And I think it's a very unique and beautiful form. What's the origins of ERC? Who, who began it? Eve Wolfe. Uh, who is a pianist, a classical pianist, uh, Max Burroughs, also a classical pianist, and James Mello, who's a musicologist and a brilliant musicologist. The origins of ERC, getting back to your original question, were that Eve was working at uh, the 92nd Street Y, and it was that period when people got really excited about going to pre-concert lectures, and people would go, as they still do, mm -hmm. go to pre-concert lectures, and uh, people would give all this wonderful information, and then you'd have the concert. And she thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to integrate the actual material, material about either the composer or the period, etc., actually into the sensual theatrical experience? And so that was really the origin of it. So the idea is to people say, well, what is this? Is it a concert? Is it a play? It's both. It's drama, it's a play, and it is a concert. I also think of it as a little movie. I mean, that's the way I think about it when I'm directing it. You know, I, I try to erase 
what isn't necessary so that we focus on what is happening in whatever particular scene, whether it's the acting scene or it's the music. Don, you've been at this for a while. What do you think takes place when you combine these art forms? A really a kind of performance art piece takes place because the doc it's like a collage in a certain way. The actual words of somebody like Oscar Wilde or of Tchaikovsky, his letters uh, and the response to his letters. Uh, so you hear these very beautiful, heartfelt letters. And it's a wonderful exercise for the actors. It's very filmic in a certain way, although they have to have all the histrionic uh, skills of live acting. It's like becoming th these very important cultural figures. And so so th there's that part. Then the music, it's not used programmatically. I've learned all these. I'm, I'm not a professional musician. I'm an appreciator. I'm a, strictly a theater person. The music isn't used programmatically. It's not background music. We integrate actions where it's appropriate with the music. But the pieces of music, all the pieces are played straight through, whether it's a, a movement or a sonata or a song or whatever. And this is due to the wonderful skills of the founders of ERC. So they think of ideas, characters, figures, uh, such as Peggy Guggenheim or Beethoven or um, Tchaikovsky, as I said. And it takes a lot of time for them to figure out which pieces of music will act as a resonance. And you're the director. And I'm the director. I'm the director of theatrical production. Eve uh, Wolf is the executive artistic director, and then Max and James are co-artistic directors, and I'm the director of theatrical production. So we all we all work very collaboratively, And but I'm a Johnny-come-lately on the scene. I mean, they began the ERC 14 years ago, and I'm now, I think, coming into my ninth year uh, in my position, and I, I love it. How often do you mount productions? We usually do three to four concerts and theatrical presentations a year. Tell me how you begin to put this all together and how you begin to stage the work. We have a first reading, and at the first reading, uh, the set and costume designer, who has been uh, Vanessa James, is there, and she thinks about what it could look like and you know what the costumes, which are usually always very authentic from the period, whatever period it is. Uh, Beverly Emmons is our lighting designer, and she's a painter with light. Beverly was the first woman to win a Tony Award on Broadway for her lighting of Amadeus, and she also did the uh, Einstein at the Beach, the first performance of it at Lincoln Center, at the Met. It, we're kind of like a unit, and we bring our things to it at this first reading. We listen to the piece, and then we make suggestions, whether dramaturgically I don't ever make suggestions musically because I don't have that wealth of knowledge about it, but I could say maybe this would sound better there after that particular... I was going to ask you yeah, that. So there's yeah. a lot of collaboration. I guess I just want to emphasize <laughs> the music and the spoken word yes. are equal on that stage. Yes, they are. They are. And it's very interesting. And it's interesting to put those two tones or idioms or mediums together. It's why I love this form. I mean, I felt like I fell into something that for me personally as an artist is has an aesthetic, spiritual, and um, just uh, an emotional and historical structure and intrigue that I wouldn't necessarily find. I mean, I direct regular plays, so to speak, but I've always been interested in new theater. And this is, although it may seem like it's from the 19th century and into the early 20th century, it's an idiom that I think is really rather new.
And yeah. then in the case of the Tchaikovsky, you also yeah. brought another medium yes. in, which is Listen. you had dancers. Yes, we did. We had dancers, and that was extraordinary. And again, we do these pieces, we put something on, it's ready to be seen, but they do change if we decide to do them again. We, we refine them. And in the case of the Tchaikovsky, we thought to ourselves, hey, wait a minute, he's so associated with dancing, with ballet, why not? add ballet, once we made that decision that that would be wonderful to do, we worked with ABT, American Ballet Theater, and we were able to have a, a wonderful young dancer come and be in the piece. And I think it was just absolutely great. And I think that we would do more of that. Same way with the piece that we just finished about Oscar Wilde. It occurred to us that most of the theatrical part was about what was said at his trials or what he wrote to Bosey, his lover, really personal material. And then I suddenly thought, well, you know, Oscar Wilde was one of the greatest playwrights ever. We ought to give a little taste of one of a piece from one of his plays. So we, in this time that we did the performances, we added an excerpt from The Importance of Being Earnest. And I think it was really wonderful. As I was sitting there, and the first half is often very, very funny and very, very witty. And as I'm getting ready for Act Two, I was thinking... Well, I think it's going to be a lot more serious and very heartbreaking from here on in. Yes. And I really did appreciate the importance of being earnest. I thought it Bring worked it. in very Thank nicely. You. Thank you. I'm so glad. With the Oscar Wilde and with the Tchaikovsky, the company was looking at the challenges that gay artists faced. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and it becomes even more, I think, obviously, uh, this season – the piece about Tchaikovsky, where he was grappling with his homosexuality, was a conscious decision on the part of Eve and Max and James to do two pieces that really addressed gay empowerment. Although there's been tremendous progress, uh, I feel like in my lifetime, the big issues that I grew up facing were civil rights. Then we looked at women's rights, gay rights, and now I think I think there have been the issues of transgender, I mean, all of that. And it's hard, I think, for maybe current audiences to remember just how verboten under the, under the table, you know, I still think that all of those issues are always in a precarious state. And we can't say too much about them, and we can't say too much about how there is a history and a past, and people can't ever lose track of what happened to Oscar Wilde. That was a terrible tragedy, and it was really politically generated. I mean, there's no question. And he was destroyed for something which he said was natural. It's not unnatural. And I think more and more people now know that. And with gay marriage and everything, we're making progress. But it's still, it's still these are still very important issues. Let's talk about the music. How was it chosen? The music that James chose, Chasson, who I think, I think that music is so, you know, dazzling. You know, I consider myself reasonably alert to music. I was not aware of Chasson's music, and his dates are exactly the same as Oscar Wilde's. And we know that Oscar Wilde knew about his music. He was very oriented to French culture, and so he knew the works of Chasson and Foray. And so, therefore, the foray was, was beautiful. Unbelievably you know? yeah. gorgeous. Uh,
And then there were the two British pieces, which the Vaughan Williams and the um, Elgar. From what I've read, your pieces usually do take place in a very intimate setting, which means that's a lot going on on a stage. It is. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It's a lot going on on that little stage. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you. We did a piece of Van Gogh in Montreal, and it was also in a much larger theater. I think there were 800 seats also. It was big. That was very exciting the first time to be in a large space and to hear the actors use their really histrionic ability, which they have. And the actor there who's French-Canadian, Simon Fortin, he's a trained actor. And so, of course, the people come in, they say, okay, we're going to worry you for the little you know, thing. He said, no, no, I can't speak. And it's similar to the music. Concert musicians never are miked. I mean, they don't have a mic on their piano or on their violin or whatever. And that becomes another kind of resonance. Yeah, it's it was very interesting. When I went to see the Oscar Wilde, I had done my research and I read <laughs> about it, and I honestly did not yeah, know what to expect. I know. And that is a nice thing. But I also can see how that would be a challenge for you in trying to explain to potential audiences what's going to happen. It is, and we've thought about it. I mean, there's a pre-concert lecture, usually, but we don't address the theatrical event, the mm -hmm. nature of the animal that people are going to see. And it's also because, you know, it's sort of hard because you tend to think, okay, you're going to have to tell them, well, it's not a conventional dialogue. <laughs> it's not a concert. So it, it seems that we always have to talk about a lot of knots. I'd rather talk about what it is. It's this kind of, I think of it as a kind of a very symbolist and a beautiful unfolding. It's always interesting when the actors first hear the live musicians. I was going to ask it's you astonishing. that too. Yeah. And, and particularly for actors who we have not worked with before. The musicians and the actors rehearse separately, and then we blend, put the, the thing together. And, you know, there's always those normal kinds of uh, logistical issues. And then suddenly this atmosphere takes over, you know, where the actors start listening to the whole piece. After, they become more confident of, you know, what they're doing. And the same thing happens with the musicians. And we've they, the musicians start listening to what the actors are saying and what the context is of how they are appearing because they also are used to only appearing in concert circumstances where there may be program notes, etc. But they're not in an empathetic relationship to other people on stage. I really feel that when when the atmosphere is successful, that's what the audience feels as well. That when I talk about kind of an erasure of the barriers, yeah, it the just sort of sink into it. You know, when when the audience also realizes, I'm listening to this whole piece of music. It, it isn't necessarily related to the plot, but it is. It might be emotionally. It, ha it begins to have a resonance and and, and another sensual, that's what I can say, it's mm -hmm. sensual experience. Well, what's so interesting is that it affects a different part of one, I think, because mm -hmm. there's a linearity to theater. Mm -hmm. And music is a way of... Yes, what can't be said. What exactly. can't be said. Can't be said. Yeah, exactly. accessing exactly. that. And it also made me think of what we lose when we silo the arts. Yes. 
And that had to have been a thought for all of you involved in ERC. Absolutely. It's absolutely you hit a nail right on the head. Do you have a company of musicians? We we have developed a company. And it's not the same company each time, but it's wonderful. We have what we call the ERC families. And that's another element which I want to talk about is the musicians. Max and Eve are absolutely extraordinary at identifying really wonderful musicians. And it's not about an age thing. We are not ageist in any way whatsoever. But so many young musicians love this kind of work, and they they don't have an opportunity to do it. In general, we try to use people, again, if the music, you know, if the music is right for what they play, if the repertoire is right for what they play, and, and the same with actors. What was the first piece you directed? First piece I directed was a piece about the relationship between Frederick Chopin and George Sand. And uh, it was based on the winter in Mallorca. And I'll tell you what happened is that Eve Wolf's children went to the United Nations School. And our son was at the United Nations School. And we lived close by. And so at one point, Eve said, would you ever be willing to carpool? And so my wife said, absolutely. So, you know, kids talk. So in the car, our son talked about what I do. And and so I got a phone call and Eve said, I'd love you to come to, you know, one of the concerts. Vanessa and I went to the concert and we loved it. I mean, it was utterly wonderful. Several months went by and I got a call from Eve and she said, Don, I, I don't know, I hate to ask you, could you really help me? Because we're trying to put on this piece about Georges Sand and we have an actress, a, a wonderful actress, and she's really having a hard time with this format. And she said, you don't have a stage manager. You don't have a director. You don't have anything having to do with the theater. Everything is about the music, et cetera. <laughs> I had the afternoon off and I said, okay, I'll come down. It was like a scene from a screwball comedy from the from a 1930s movie. As soon as I went to the costumes, I could hear the screams upstairs. Could you really? Yeah, I really could. And I went up the stairs and immediately the actress said, who are you? And I said, well, um, I'm bent to an ERC concert and I'm, I'm a theater director. I said, well, Eve asked me to come in and see because, you know, you know, she wants this to be good. And I can tell you that it's really something worth doing. She was playing George Sam. So that's what got me into it. And so I just talked about the things that theater people talk about, about how you need to relax and, and also make the musicians understand that actors have a different working process. You know, some actors do come in with all the lines learned and absolutely how they're going to do it. That doesn't happen so much anymore. It really doesn't. So that was something that had to be made clear to the musicians. The theater has its world of of do's and don'ts. <laughs> and musicians, of course, are, are astonishing because, of course, unlike actors, they come to a rehearsal with everything known. You know, the singers, people coming in and doing lead or whatever, they've got the whole thing there. You know, boom, it's a different process. So that, that was the first thing I did. How long is the rehearsal period? The rehearsal period is remarkably short, actually. It's usually between one and two weeks. Are you kidding? But we have readings, and of course, the musicians rehearse separately, and I rehearse separately with the actors, and then we put them together. But it's also because people's schedules are very difficult. It's very hard to get people for a long rehearsal time for, quite frankly, the rather modest fees that we pay, although they're good fees. But, for example, when we redid the uh, the Chopin piece, which was in Italy at uh, Festival del Sol, Jeremy Irons played the role. So, I mean... I was faced with Jeremy Irons and his wife, uh, Sinead Cusick, and we had two days to How do the show. How did that go? It was wonderful. See, it was absolutely wonderful. There's something about it when actors really get this and go with it. They really go with it. And Jeremy said to me, you know, 
Don, this is like when he was at the Bristol Old Vic where I also went. He said, you know, you had to put things together in one day to show the teachers. You know, I can just remember you got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, go to these unheated rehearsal places, and then by the time you had to show it at 7 o'clock at night, it had to be all there. If they have that rigorous background, they can do it. Also, the musicians are used to that kind of time. They're not used to the sort of eight-hour involved theater rehearsals. Interesting. How did you get involved in theater? Well, <laughs> well, um, I went originally to University of Pennsylvania to study architecture because the late Louis Kahn was there, and they had a kind of a double thing where I could do literature and architecture. And the University of Pennsylvania had the first really knockdown, drag out exhibition of Andy Warhol in 1964. <laughs> and I was on a work study, and when Warhol came to Penn, he was in the midst of doing his films and starting to be interested in, in, with the superstars etc. And when you saw this wild building by Frank Furness, nutsy 19th century arch American architect who's not known, that well known, uh, but it's an incredible building, he wanted to do happenings around. And so because of, I was fortunate enough to go to some of the Alan Capro happenings in New York City, uh, people said, well, you can, you'll know how to make these. And I said, well, I, no, I don't think really. I just go to this stuff. So then there was, in those days, there were no theater departments in the in a lot of the major academic institutions. There were clubs, and there was something called the Penn Players, which was a club. And after the head of the Penn Players saw some of these events, Miss Quinn was her name. I'll never forget her. Uh, thank you, Miss Quinn. And uh, she said, could we get you to do something for the club? I said, I don't know anything about it. You know, I really don't know anything about it. And if I did, I'd have to do something that used my friends from the art school. It wouldn't be like a conventional theater piece. She kept nagging me, and finally I did the first production that I can say I directed was uh, Crap's Last Tape of Beckett because that was what I felt was, you know, modernist literature. Uh, we did a film. A film was made by some of my friends from the art school, and the film was shown. And, and you know, I had an epiphany. I say this to people because I, I was lucky enough to have one. I, I just loved doing it. I loved putting together... The whole thing. I, I just had an instinct. thought, I'm going to be a director, and that's what I want to do. And so I um, did a piece at the Experimental Theater there, a production of The Chairs in ESCO. Then I, from Penn, I won a fellowship to go to study in England, which was a fellowship given usually for highly academic or science issues. And uh, I think I was the first person to be given it in the arts. And so when they said, well, you want to go to Oxford or Cambridge and study, I said, no, I would, I would like to go and find out how to do theater. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't had any professional training. So I went to Bristol, and that was a phenomenal uh, experience. So by, that point, by that time, I was off and running yeah. and only wanted to be a director and be as good a director as I could be. <laughs> It's wonderful. Do you know what you're doing next season for ERC? Yeah. Well, there's talk about doing a Kafka piece, and there's also talk about the possibility of bringing the Tchaikovsky back as a double bill or double not this, on the same night with the Beethoven. The Tchaikovsky has already kind of established itself, and that would be an interesting match. There are like almost 40 productions that are there waiting to be tapped. I mean, and some, it's like I love all my children. When we sit down and talk about it, if we're bringing something back, it's hard to decide which is the one. I sort of leave that to Eve and Max and James. Oh. So I don't know. When we know, you'll be, you'll be, you'll I want to, know. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, it was a pleasure, and Oscar Wilde was a revelation, and I was so happy to be there in oh, that theater. I'm so glad. Don, thank you so much. Thank I you. appreciate it. Thank you. It's a thank pleasure. You. That's Don Sanders. He's director of theatrical production for the Ensemble for the Romantic Century. You can see their production of Van Gogh's Ear from August 20th to the 30th at the Clark Museum in Williamstown, Massachusetts. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog, or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.